0: Welcome to the SajCast. I'm Mark Austin. And I'm Stacey Roberts. And we, we are, are the Sons, the Sons of, of Joy. Joy. You're listening to SajCast number six. Our sixth ever SajCast. Uh, and it's funny because after SajCast number five, or during number five, you said that most podcasts died after four or five podcasts. Uh, but we're back after uh, a bit of a... Hi- hiatus. hiatus and and to be clear we will make the events of the hiatus entertaining but to our fans they're not seeing it as a brief interlude they want to know where we've been and what took us so long to get back and in answer we can only say life pulls us in many directions it was excruciating for them but but i looked and we had the same number of subscribers that we did when we left so i'm thinking that uh it was okay Or this could be our last chance. (laughs) We'll make it up to you. We promise. SajCast number six, sponsored by Productivity. The quality, state, or fact of being able to generate, create, enhance, or bring forth goods and services. In a sense, they are the makers of everything that gets made. You can buy their products. Well, you can't help but not buy their products. This week's SajCast, sponsored by the makers of everything, unless you're religiously inclined. Did we have anything more about productivity? Oh, it's going to be all about productivity. All right, then. On to current events. So, and uh, current events, This in this particular SajCast, refer to events that are not entirely current, and by this we mean the hiatus. What happened since last you heard from us? That's right. And so um, I can tell you that it was not productivity. (laughs) We were not doing anything productive. I was on vacation with my children, and we went to New Orleans, which is something that will feature quite prominently when we get to food porn and other things. Um, You toured the South. I toured the South in the middle of the summer. I went to New Orleans with my children, and I then went to Pensacola to see your child, who um, I believe she would tell you is um, adrift in the wilderness at her college uh, with nothing to do in Pensacola. And so I went to relieve the boredom and, uh, you know, visit for a bit. Her college is a bit in the wilderness, as it were. Yes, they actually have a sign that uh, there's a trail, a nature trail, yes. and it says, Beware of Poisonous Snakes and Alligators. And Actually, I've been on the trail, and it says, Snake and Alligator, as if there are one each, Poisonous Snake and Poisonous Alligator. In which case, you might feel fortunate to have seen one. Now, yes. i got to tell you that Margaret's description of any sort of trail that was redolent of poisonous beasts, <laughs> I was out. I was done. I was looking for a movie theater. So, um I didn't go on the trail, but just, just to get a sense of, that's the college she's at. Well, yeah. so, and it was clear that the English department didn't have a hand in the making of that particular sign. Or if it did, that is not a positive commentary on the <laughs> educational quality that you <laughs> are paying for. Well... Yes, unless they have a poisonous alligator, which they might. Which they might, in which case um, then it's it, it lends a more uh, circus kind of approach to <laughs> yes. the education. But um, a good time was had by most. Uh, so uh, to start back, we went to New Orleans because it's on my kids' bucket list. They It's a place they'd never been. I went through it in my trailer trash days when I traveled the country to Winnebago with my parents. Um, which I tried to present to the FBI as an extended kidnapping, but nobody bought it. Um, and so they wanted to go to New Orleans and see what it was like. And so we went, and we realized that New Orleans is uh, six feet below sea level. It was the middle of July, and uh, it was hot, and it smelled bad. I may have advised you of at least one of those facts. Yes, and so in, in this aspect of current events, in Sajkast number six, this is where you get to bask in the glow of having been right on more than one occasion. Well, I I was in New Orleans last July um for for work. So I had some sense of what you were in for, yes. And I I must say that uh, New Orleans is a place that you really should go um in winter. Is, well, yes, <laughs> but um you know, they they had they did invent air conditioning a while back and so I used that to advantage. But it's it's worth seeing. It's it's interesting to see the remnants of destruction from Katrina even low these many years later. The city is definitely making a comeback. You kind of feel good about spending your tourist dollars down there. And well, we'll cover this in food porn, but you really can't help yourself but get some good food while you're in New Orleans. Yeah, no, I think it's a great city. It's a walking city, which yes. is why I recommend a cooler month. Um because the architecture, the uh, balconies, all that's real intriguing. Not a lot of places like it, uh, here on this continent. Right. But when you go with, when you go with a 16 year old and a 14 year old, their interest in architect is, architecture is not so great. Uh, once they've bought their souvenirs emblazoned with New Orleans, they're kind of done. It might be like Niagara Falls. It might be one of these trips where you take the kids so they can see it. Then you go back with your significant other, (laughs) uh, you know, next year and do it right. But we did have a good time and so that that's uh that's why I mentioned it now. And then we went from there to Pensacola and it rained on us the entire time. And the only reason we could contemplate that was that we had we had spent a lot of the drive down mocking people. I was gonna say just for the audience's benefit, you drove to New Orleans Oh, yes. you didn't fly. Did not fly. Drove to New Orleans through a part of the country and only been through once, the Mississippi, Alabama. Mm. stretch uh, we went there we went that way when we went to Oxford to write we our did. book yep. and so it was a nice um it was a nice thing to do because usually all my driving trips have been from Cincinnati, Ohio to Fort Lauderdale, Florida and it's the same trip over and over <laughs> again and so this gave me an opportunity to take a different route which was very nice Um but again when you say oh look it's the Space Center in Alabama let's stop the kids go now let's keep going and so you keep going <laughs> Uh, we went from New Orleans to Pensacola. In Huntsville. Huntsville. No, Huntsville. Right. I spent six weeks in Huntsville. Felt like a year. So, so you I've, would not have wanted to go either. That's what you're saying. <laughs> I have, I have been and seen the big rockets. Okay. Yeah. Alright. Well, good to know. Um, New Orleans to Pensacola to visit your child in, in her town. Um, she told me that there's nothing to do in Pensacola. She's mostly right. Um, we spent a lot of time in the ocean or the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. Uh, we spent a lot of time in the hot tub at the hotel and we spent a lot of time at Denny's, which is going to feature again in food porn. Um, we spent a a lot of time driving around the university of West Florida, picking up your kid and then leaving and then (laughs) coming back. And it's, it's quite an odd layout to drive that campus. It's like a snake. Yeah. And your GPS is confused because it says make a right on campus drive, then make a left on campus drive and then make a left (laughs) on campus drive and then make a right on campus drive. And there you are. What? And you turn off your GPS and you just say, we're just going to find it, however that works. Yeah, I remember the, well, the only time, the first and only time I've been there, we were looking around and basically we we couldn't find what we were looking for. We pulled into a parking lot and they have the, you know, the classic college campus map, which I took a picture of with my phone. (laughs) And then we used that, zoomed in to figure out where we were going thereafter. I... Now I must say this, but we did exactly the same thing. See? And I wish I knew. I remember the name Great of the hall it was like John Miller Hall or something, <laughs> where they have the big campus map. And what they should do is they should really set up a booth and sell tickets to get you, so where you can go see <laughs> the campus map. And they should have a refreshment stand, and they should sell all of their UWF paraphernalia. They would make a killing because anyone who drives on that campus who isn't a student is going to stop there right. to, to get their bearings and figure out where to go next. And I think they're missing a real opportunity to get some funding going on. They should pitch the poisonous alligator while they're there too. Yes, don't forget before you leave, you must see the one poisonous alligator that we have. Chompy. Yes. So Pensacola was fun because Pensacola was the non, it was not a lot of moving around. New Orleans was walking in the heat. Yeah. Um, you know, going on, going to look at events and taking tours and things like that. Um, we did leave New Orleans on the day that a gigantic storm was coming in. And the Baptists came to town for their convention. Coincidentally. Coincidentally, and having walked down Bourbon Street at one in the afternoon, watching emaciated strippers come out, <laughs> I'm just wondering what was the motivation of the Baptists to pick that for their convention city? Because it wasn't it wasn't fully grown Baptists. It was you know little Baptists, little oh. teenage Baptists. There were twelve year old uh, religious folk walking around, and I just wasn't sure what the theme of the weekend was going to be. But I didn't stick around to find out. Uh, we beat feet and went to Pensacola, and that was where we got most of our relaxation in, and then a leisurely drive home. And well, Pensacola is also home of the Blue Angels, which, no doubt, you ran into signage and airplanes. And actually, everywhere. on the overpasses, they, <laughs> yes. have, they have these little Blue Angel models there, and I'm like, I don't know what their budget is for these things getting stolen, but you've got to <laughs> think that somebody's prying them off the concrete and taking them home, and they just have to have a big truck of these things. <laughs> and every morning there's a crew of guys who have to go out and put these little Blue Angel planes back on the overpasses where they've been pried off. Yeah, the crowbar and somebody to hold you by your ankles and lean you over there, and you get one. Yeah. That's right. At the uh, the rest stop uh, immediately before Pensacola, at least coming from Alabama, I suspect it's probably true in the other direction as well. But they had a full-size plane mm-hmm. on, a, on a skewer, basically. Right. You, and know, you can take your up. picture under it, holding up a finger to look yes. like you're supporting it. You have to wait your turn, because everybody's doing that, but yes. <laughs> oh, I feel cliche. <laughs> but you probably didn't see them, because I believe they were actually uh, performing elsewhere while you were yeah. down there. And i got to say, that wasn't something that my kids probably would have been interested in. Um uh the Pensacola portion of the trip was was them wanting to go to the beach, and yes. so we did that and again, magnificent if you're nice if, beach, nice beach if you are from a landlocked area such as we are, going to the ocean can be a holy experience it's um uh, it's something we didn't have in our college town we did not have a beach that's true well, we may have had a bar called the beach but that's different. but that was it. It's good that it's good that she has these things around her and with any luck she will not encounter the poisonous alligator. If she does, I hope she befriends it. She would. Okay. So um so that was my trip and then upon my return I had house guests. Yes. Which I gotta say, I can't remember the last house guests I had before these, but I'm not really good at it anymore <laughs> because um you're not going to take over the mantle that Conrad Hilton left for you. Yeah, I'm not leaving a light on for anybody anymore. Um, and not that it wasn't good to see these people, because it's our friend Rob that we went to high school with, so he's known us for a quarter century, and his wife and their two kids uh, came to my house and stayed for several days. Um, and what I had forgotten is that my friend Rob is a bit of a prima donna, a little diva. Things had to be a certain way. And in my house, especially when I'm recovering from having recently been on vacation, <laughs> uh, the food's over there, the towels are over there, the pool's out back, good luck, I'm going to be resting on the couch. <laughs> uh, needless to say, the house guests were more like people who wanted to be entertained. They said, show me something uniquely Cincinnati. I said, well, my house. You can <laughs> yes, It's the only place you can find it is here. Yeah, so they wanted food that they couldn't get in Florida. They wanted experiences they couldn't get in Florida. Which and reminds me, as a complete aside, but but we've talked about this in pre-prod a couple of times. But one day, when we're not on a diet, we're going to have a Cincinnati-based food podcast where we bring it all here into Studio Z and eat it. With commentary. Yes. Our mothers will not be happy because we'll be eating with our mouth or speaking with our mouths full. Well, and I think if you check the subscriber list, neither of our parents are <laughs> so far. So far. Breathe a sigh of relief. Sorry. Anyway, anyway. so your house guests uh yes. They um Yes. I, I'm, <laughs> I mean, I am I am at a, almost at a loss for words, but You were telling me that uh being the Noble, noteworthy parent you are. There was, uh, pizza for breakfast for the ah, children yes. at least <laughs> once. Yes. Yeah, so here's the thing. My children are 16 and 14 and yours are 18 and 22 now, right? Uh, 20. 20. 18 right. and 20. And so as children get older, shall we say the regulations may get overlooked. It's like, you know, when you <laughs> yeah. elect a president who worked on Wall Street, sometimes there's not as much oversight as you would like. The parents, Diva, Mr. and Mrs. Diva, uh, slept late every day, but their kids were up at the crack of dawn, coming downstairs saying, "Hey, what's for breakfast?" And the day before, Mister Diva had said, "I'm hungry. Get me lunch, and get lunch for everybody, and make it something that's uniquely Cincinnati. Get me get me pizza I can't get in Florida." So I ordered from La Rosa's, which is a local chain up here. Which is is good thinking because I would have tried to bring back pizza with like skyline on top. Yeah. So that was a good thing. Well, and to be clear, I was recently back from my own vacation. I was barely recovered from all that mess. I was not about to foray out. Oh, yeah. If it, he didn't specify that it should be pizza that somebody would bring to the house, but I added that little bit of defiance. <laughs> I interpreted my orders loosely, shall we say. And so I ordered, you know, a hundred bucks worth of La Rosa's. And so the next morning I had an entire cheese pizza left over, which. Well, and, and we should point out to the people who aren't from the area, La Rosa is obviously a local chain, but um, what makes them sort of uniquely Cincinnati, at least in my experience, is that they don't use mozzarella on oh, a pizza. Right. They use provolone. They use provolone. Yeah. So I guess you hit that right on the head. That's yeah. a uniquely sure. local thing. Yeah. And so uh, the the critical piece is that I had a bunch of it left over, and when his kids came down, they're ten years ten year old twins. And said, what's for breakfast? I said, without getting up from my chair, <laughs> there's pizza over there. And I've seen you eat it. You ate <laughs> it yesterday. And so I think we can skip right over the, I don't know if I'm going to like that because you're already, you're stuck. You're you're stuck fast. You as like overcommitted. <laughs> right. And so I serve them the pizza in the way that I serve pizza, which is it's on the stove in the box. There are napkins. Get to it. You don't stand on pomp or circumstance, no ceremony. I don't stand up. Let's put it that way. I was in a chair, and I didn't even stand up, let alone on anything like pomp, circumstance, or ceremony. And their father came down. Now, of course, keep in mind, this is a fellow like you that I've known since I was 14 years old. And so he does not restrain his ire (laughs) when it arises. And he said, are you effing kidding me? (laughs) You're going to feed my kids pizza for breakfast. And normally, when challenged on pizza, really at any time, I (laughs) launch into my scientific breakdown of the food. I say, well, you know, it's got the cheese, it's got the dough, it's got the tomatoes, with the lycopene and all of its salient benefits. Um, How could it possibly be bad? And how is it somehow off-limits, no matter what meal of the day it happens to be? In his case, I said... Kitchen's over there. Feed them whatever you can find that you want them to eat. And so he did. And what did they end up eating? They ended up eating um, eggs, toast, bacon. Honestly, i got to say that I think the pizza probably would have been better for them, but (laughs) I'm not really in a position to judge. And um, interestingly enough, my children were like, What's wrong with pizza for breakfast? I'm like, ah, oh, there <laughs> you go. You're not going to eat that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, uh, what's the real problem here? You're going to start cooking things? Well, that's just going to be loud and hot, and it's going to dirty dishes that someone's going to have to clean up. And the pizza's already pretty well self-contained in its own box, and it's got a handle. I mean, why are we overcomplicating? They're practical children, and yeah. this is how you know you've raised them right: is when they're not—they're <laughs> not all fancy. They're not sitting at the table with a plate and linens, going, "Where's my breakfast?" They're like, they're munching on pizza while his kids are sitting there watching them, starving, drooling, because (laughs) there must be a meal and it must be properly made. Now, again, because there is a food porn section of the Sajcast, we should be clear that we can appreciate a meal that's properly made and Mm -hmm. properly executed. But there are times where convenience wins, and especially where children are concerned. And practicality. I mean... We could make the argument that you could eat that pizza the day after, but really, this is the time. You know, the, the next morning. Right. That's when that pizza should, name, must be consumed. That's right. <laughs> and was. Uh, I guess in other current events, we are now on Stitcher Radio, uh, which we have updated the Sajcast site to indicate. Last I checked, we did not have anyone listening to us on Stitcher Radio, but uh, it did happen. We got put up there during the hiatus, so uh, perhaps that explains it. But anyway, look for us on Stitcher Radio on your iPhone or other Stitcher Radio-enabled device. Oh, interesting. Uh, let's see, what else happened? So, I took a brief trip, a week-long trip, I guess, to Seattle. Sounds like many other Sajcasts of late, um, but one of the nice things that happened was I was up there with the Sajcast's good friend Charles Joy, and we recorded uh, an episode of his podcast called Stacks of Comics, and so we have a Stacks of Comics Sajcast crossover, and so I recommend uh, check the links to that you go out there and get that. But it was a, a super fun thing that we did. We actually did it shh, don't tell, on Microsoft campus in a conference room. It was after our hours, but it was uh it wasn't Studio Z. It didn't feel quite like home. It was actually a really long conference table. And uh, it had one of those newfangled phones with the mics that run out to either end. So we were sitting at either end like Batman on a date. You know, Bruce Wayne at one end, the girl way at the other end. So Charles and I were separated by 60 feet of table or whatever it was. It was pretty long. But, uh, yeah, that was it was great fun to record that. And um, the point of that particular stacks of comics was... An interview of me, of all things, and Zombie Guy. So one of the neat things that happened, we think at least, we broke new ground in the podcasting world by having me draw Zombie Guy live during the podcast. And Charles took pictures and then later animated them. So there's an animated GIF of Zombie Guy kind of growing out of whiteboard. (laughs) It's pretty funny. Uh, and, and I have to say that our our influence rubbed off and um at least on this particular stacks of comics there's a food porn section <laughs> excellent so uh but I'll get into what we talked about on the food porn section later we did I will just say in the current events section that um we were uh we went back to El Matador which those of you who keep track this was the uh the place with my run-in with Wilford Brimley now which side which side cache was that mentioned uh, in Uh, good one uh, four <laughs> you I don't know what remember so, you know here's the thing this is where self-promotion really breaks down because the proper answer to that question is all of them you'll all have to them. start at one and listen forward yeah. and when you hear it then you'll know well and it's been repeated here in six so there you go all right uh, but anyway we had um, we had dinner there I think twice. Without running into Wilford or Ed Begley Jr., and it was all good. So there were no fisticuffs. No fisticuffs. Excellent. Although we had uh, one of our favorite uh, dishes there was the bacon-wrapped uh, goat cheese stuffed jalapeno. Not to get into food porn. But uh, they weren't the way we remember them because they forgot to hull the jalapenos. So the first what? bite I had was the only bite I could taste for the rest of the that week (laughs) it was just burned my tongue uh anyway but it was good to be back there and uh not run into any trouble with the locals so uh, that's all good i think in other current events the uh the vice president emailed you he did indeed and um no one should be fooled in thinking that i have some sort of dialogue going on with joe biden although he does remind me of my father it is election season, and so in the Sajcast current events section, uh, I feel like we should mention things that cross our plate, as it were. Um, and the only real problem with talking about politics in this particular Sajcast is that our Sajcast is sponsored by productivity, and politicians and the business of politics is really the antithesis of I was productivity. Say, they yeah. uh, they are creating nothing. So, uh, anyway, we, Joe Biden sent this email. And I quote, this isn't hyperbole or exaggeration. If we don't win this election, it will be because we didn't close the spending gap. Unquote. Unquote. So my first thought. Well, uh, let's step back just a little and explain in case we have uh, listeners who aren't politicos. What the spending gap is. What the spending gap is. Okay. So Governor Romney, the uh, former Governor Romney, former Governor Romney, (laughs) Um, Joe Biden and Barack Obama's nemesis, their Darth Vader, as it were, has outraised them by a significant amount of money, apparently $25 million a month. Yeah. So um, Romney raised a hundred million this month and for several months previous and, uh, the Democrats have raised 75. So yeah. Right. And $25 is, million dollar difference. Right. A $25 million difference. And this is, of course, is without super PAC money, which yes. is really just. The freewheeling car stealing cocaine spree of American politics. <laughs> so there's a funding gap and Joe Biden has taken upon himself to, um, indicate that it is only money that wins elections. Now we are not naive, right? We have to <laughs> say, say the, the people holding public office don't often tell the truth, but on this matter, I believe them. Yes. And so really the sad commentary is, that he who gets the most money will likely be our next president the if history is any guide at all yes yes because statistically that is how it turned out and so um the sad thing is is that whoever gets the most money is likely to be our next president and you may have noticed that i said that twice it's not something (laughs) we're going to edit out because it is truly sad joe biden did not say We win on ideas. We win on policy. We win on our vision of the future. We win on our compassion for all the citizens of the United States of America. He says we will win if we get more money than the other guy. At which point, I must say, I was not motivated to contribute. Because if you cannot win on ideas and vision and policy and your compassion for all the citizens of this great land, then you should go home and retire and play golf. So, um... And, and not to pick unfairly on either candidate, because what's the saying? You uh, can't govern if you don't win. That is true. This is everyone's problem. This is a problem we all inherit from, well, I, I hate to put a finger on it, but uh, the evolution of the two-party system in the way that we're experiencing it now has basically produced this and some of the recent supreme court rulings with you know the super PAC money and all that have certainly put us in a position where money talks right and this is um to to turn this back around to something in my personal life my daughter took her driving test and in order to pass her driving test she had to do a bunch of arcane maneuvers in a car that I in 25 years of driving have never had to do if you want to be president you must fundraise and you must out-fundraise the other guy if they said in order to be president you must single-handedly uh sail a boat from new york to paris then you do that i mean it's it's not this is how you win we have we have come up with this system to elect our public officials you must raise money and then use the money to win your election yes so i don't blame mitt romney for raising as much money as he can because that's how you win And I don't blame Barack Obama for doing it because that's how you win. That's how they, yeah, that's how he won in 2008. That's how every Bush won. It's how every president who has, who's been in the White House since Truman has won. Well, we may put an asterisk after Bush for the first election. Okay. But, but, um, well, if you don't win in the Supreme Court, it's still (laughs) a money game, but, but I think the, the point Mm. to be made to our listeners is it is not necessarily the politicians that are corrupt. It is the system that they are working within. Well, yes. We have the best government money can buy. Mm -hmm. And so we're electing a president based on their ability, ostensibly, to raise money better than the other guy. Absolutely. Not that they can govern better or have better ideas or what have you, but, yeah. And I believe that the winning candidate will tell us that it's his ideas and vision and policy uh, bent that... Persuaded people to let loose of their pocketbooks But the counter-argument to that is that Most corporations give equally to both parties Yes, And that just seems like You're hedging your bets You're buying everything So that you're not left out And usually what ends up happening is People who don't donate and just vote Are left out And so that to me uh, suggests that we should look at The system Where this kind of blatant Reaching into my wallet is somehow elevated to the same platform as good governance and what what sort of land our children are going to inherit. And that's where um, it was a little disappointing. And that's the way it is. For those of you too young to remember, a little Walter Cronkite reference there. But yeah, that's the world we live in. Moving on to Project Updates. Uh, just as a side note in project updates, I wanted to update everyone with the status uh, landmark, if you will, for Zombie Guy, my webcomic. We hit 20 weeks. I uh, can't believe it's been 20 weeks. We're not too far from the halfway point because I dedicated myself to the proposition that I would do this for one year at least. So if we hit 25, we're getting close to 50, yeah, so... But uh anyway, 20 Well, was hold on sure. a minute, because <laughs> this is news to me, and I... This is almost like saying that your favorite president isn't going to run for re-election. One term? One year, that's it? Well, I, I guarantee 52. After that, if they don't land weekly, I'm not going to be sad. I think you're about to find out, <laughs> several weeks from now, what fan backlash feels like. Well, if we have any, we can, we can certainly adjust. But, uh, anyway, the exciting news was that in 20 weeks, we had, and well, I'll have to go back and look at the stats right now, but we had over 1800 people come out and look at the site. There was, uh, 2600 or so, uh, you know, visits and they were from, and this is the part that I actually was most excited about from 52. Five two different countries. So fifty two countries in the world have experienced something that I created, which is just ridiculous, really. Well, no, it's not. I don't, it's not ridiculous. It's the second. modern world. I mean, if yes. when, when when I met you when we were fourteen, if I said I could do something, and in fourteen or twenty weeks, fifty two countries, some of which didn't even exist back then, would have seen different it. Problem. It would have been unthinkable. Absolutely. But I think the good the good news is that this kind of success is attainable if you have a good product, you no longer need some sort of machine behind you to get it out so that you can conceive of well okay. the the internet is the machine well, sure to be fair, but yes sure but i don't I, I don't need um united artists right I don't need syndication that's right and so what it means to the listening public in the maldives. Is that if you like zombies, and you like Zombie Guy and his little fly sidekick, you can go get him. Mm -hmm. And you can look forward to the next one. And it is not a huge amount of effort to get it. It means that the previously silent now have a voice. And that's good news. Yeah, actually, I mean, the more you think about how the internet has just changed everything, because I believe it's the internet's birthday this week. Or the World Wide Web. Sorry, not the internet. The www piece of this, the HTTP URL and HTML portion of what we experience as the World Wide Web. But anyway, yeah, I mean, the, the idea that if you created a comic 10 years ago, the only way um, other than distributing it on the corner to get it seen was through some sort of syndication um, whether that's through your, you know, New Times or the Weekly World News or, you know, the Wall Street Journal, but even but even at that level, you still had to break into a system right. in order to get that. Done. Oh yeah, I mean, even the the free paper that every city has, there there's only two or three comics in there. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. a tough slog to have gotten that. So. Whether it's your comic or your writing or, you know, uh, a dance that you've danced, you can now make this available basically to the whole world. And so to bring this around a little bit to our sponsor, you know, your productivity can be magnified, amplified in a way that is historically without precedent. That's right. And it means, or it could potentially mean, no more trunk novels. No more, um, mm-hmm. no more paintings that you did when you were 16 that you looked at again 20 years later and said, Hey, these are pretty good. Why are they still in my attic? Well, because I can't get an art show. I can't get a gallery. I can't do this. I can't do that. But there is now an outlet for productivity that didn't exist even a short time ago, which is good news for productivity and it's good news for everybody else. And, and just you saying that made me wonder. Has productivity gone up as a result of that? It's somewhat uh less disenfranchising, disenheartening, whatever. Because now you know that, um, you know, if I scribble, you know, something on a cocktail napkin, I can put it up on Tumblr and people can see it. I don't, you know, there's the barrier to entry is gone. And so there's one less excuse right to keep you from doing it. Because the... The enemy of productivity is this simple question. What's stopping you? Right? Right. And whereas 20 years ago when we, uh, well, even uh, when did we finish the original Sons of Joy book? Uh, 2001? Yes. So 11 years ago we had finished an entire book. We had gone to great lengths, trust me, to write (laughs) this book and we said, well, what do we do now? Well, we're going to have to get an agent. The agent's going to have to like it. The agent's going to have to want to take a risk on people who have never been published before. Uh, except for that contest we won, which we're never going to let anyone forget about. And that agent is going to then have to go sell this book to a publisher who is then going to have to decide to buy it, decide to print it, decide to print enough copies, decide if they want to market it well enough so that it can be sold anywhere outside of our hometown, and then it seemed like a lot of work. And this was before they knew their industry was dying. (laughs) Yes, which is a whole... That's impossible. going to be a whole different sidecast, <laughs> but I think the point to be made is is that if this kind of range was available to us years ago, well, this might be an entirely different Sodgecast. Perhaps. Perhaps. And what it means is that for those of you out there who are languishing in what we like to refer to as the after 5 p.m., you're done from work and you've got a burning passion for photography, sculpture, art, dance, poetry, fiction, you name it. One of the things that has previously been stopping you is, I could write this book, I could write this song, no one will ever see it. And we're here to tell you that um, our sponsor would say, that is no longer true. Yeah, and so, so I guess since we're in the project updates section, one of the questions we have around productivity is, what did you want to do today that you didn't get done? Right? I mean, isn't that the ultimate productivity question? Right, and I I would venture a guess because I have theories about this. I mean, being creative uh, and having a passion outside of work means that you're living a dual life, like Batman. Yeah. Um, in that there, you know, by day you're a billionaire industrialist, and by night you fight crime. Um, Batman apparently his superpower is the ability to go without sleep, but um, it means that you live two lives. You do what you have to do during the day to pay the bills and keep gas in the car, and then by night. Or whatever time you can eke out of your day, you have to devote to your creative output. And knowing creative output like we do, if it's the last thing you do every day, it's probably not going to be so good. But the point, to to link it back to Zombie Guy, is that you have put out a webcomic every week for 20 weeks. Come hell or high water. And that, folks, is how it gets done. That's productivity. And so, in this project update, we are here to talk about how we have failed to be productive In our joint effort to get a book written and published Yes We we come before you Hat in hand Penitent Penitent On the good knee, hopefully Yes (laughs) Uh, Yeah, to confess To lay bare That we haven't I mean, our goal, at least as I recall Was to have this thing in the can in the summer And while it's still hot And maybe summerly out Kids are going back to school we're, <laughs> yeah, summer's we're, over. We're boned. <laughs> yes. For that. And, um, and so this, you know, part of when we get together, uh, in addition to, you know, what intangible quality is going to be our sponsor this week, it is also why aren't we making more progress on the book? Now, if my mom's listening, she's going to say it's because you spend all your time podcasting. Maybe true, but it also stokes the creative fires. But at the same time, when we meet after a long hiatus and we say, Still on chapter one, oh. yeah, we feel bad, <laughs> and we and we we start to ponder what is it going to take to get this thing off the ground. And I think that anybody who is engaged in a project that is extracurricular, sooner or later, the faces though, what is it going to take to get this done? Even if it's you know, building a deck, doing your gardening, cutting your lawn, um, you know, whatever it is that you need to do after five. Why is it not ever getting done or done well? Well, yeah, which makes me think of, right, what are the barriers that are in our way? And possibly with the exception of the modern era, and by which I mean the last decade at most, all of the great art, science, architecture came about in leisure societies, societies in which those people who produced those objects were not responsible for anything else. They weren't responsible for wiping their bottom, feeding themselves, doing their laundry, or any of that. Right. And so uh, it's clear that that works. Um, societally, there's quite a price to pay because generally there's an underclass, and that may be uh, overly generous, <laughs> that provides those services. Although in the last decade, certainly... Well, in in the last half century in some ways, machines and the Internet and a lot of things have come along to ease our burden, right? We have microwaves, we have dishwashers, we have uh, laundry machines and so on. Well, and by that same token, since we both work in the IT, we have machines that are that are taking the place of paper files and calculations. Mm-hmm. And we can now do everything, everything, everything faster. And more accurately than ever before, yet the people who are slaves to these machines are not really more productive than they used to be. They're still well, working a lot of hours. They're putting in a lot of time at the office. Are they necessarily getting more done? I would argue in the IT we are getting more done, but we're, we're simply going to be asked to do more, right? The, uh, I forget whose principle it is, there but is the idea concern. that work expands to fit the time allotted, it's Tomlinson's law. There you go. You know, that's what happens to us and if we continually as a group uh outproduce than our just like a salesman, if you hit your number, your number's bigger next quarter, right? right? It's just the way it's going to be. So I do think we are more productive uh but we're asked to do more and so our free time um isn't spent doing laundry so much we do have to, and I think this is your point, eke out, demarcate our lives in a way that we can focus on, uh, the productivity that we seek to produce, not that we must produce. Right. And, and it seems like the way to do that is to, is to be, which is not in our nature, but to be self-indulgent. Because the most successful writers are recluses, are people like Stephen King, who writes 364 days a year, no matter what and goes into a locked room abandoning his wife, children, pets and you know, cutting the grass and everything else that was on his plate to do this and he did it first he didn't do it when he was rolling around in $100 million in royalties he did it when he was broke and um, John Grisham writes four pages a day or he did when he was starting out it's at a certain point you have got to commit to that level if you're going to get it done you're going to have to at some point say I am done with everything except this And I must now go forth and do this well. Yeah, and so for those of you who've been following along, uh, we did just that um, for a number of times because we learned that, um, at least in the past, the only way to escape our distractions was literally to escape. And so um, if we went to Oxford for a week and we produced however many pages we produced, but quite a few... We produced less on our last excursion because the excursion was not solely for book writing. Right. And uh, coming back after a hiatus was still only one full chapter done. We think, subscribers to this Sajcast, that such a thing is going to have to happen again. There is going to have to be a a self-imposed... Uh, imprisonment. Uh, yes. A gulag of our own design in which you can escape if you want, but there is only frozen snow in every direction, <laughs> as far as the eye can see. Well, so. and we do have Writing Saturdays, which we, we instituted a uh, couple years ago, and that's been uh, somewhat successful. Right. Uh, but certainly we've found more success in isolation. Right. And as the years have gone on and the children have gotten older, uh, and technology has become more invasive. That's become harder to achieve. That's right. You can always be found. And so what we're suggesting, uh, and our sponsor is fully supporting, is that in order to get done what you must get done after five, you're going to have to be harsher in your, in your discipline. Yes. You're going to have to be, uh, dare I say, ruder in your pushing <laughs> people away and saying, don't bother me now. I have to do this. And that I think is the essence of real creative output is saying, I must do this. And yeah. whatever, whatever chips fall, they fall. And, and to be fair to the people around us, uh, the more opportunity we have to do that, uh, without encumbrance, the more likely we're to be done. Yes. And give our time back. That's right. And that's, uh, although it's hard, it's hard for a bystander who wants your attention. Let's call them children, Uh, (laughs) to be that patient, to say, well, you're telling me that in six months you'll be done with this book, and then I get you back. Well, I don't want to wait that long, and I may not entirely believe you. (laughs) And so there we are. So just be aware, listeners, that uh, over the next several weeks, this is the issue with which we will wrestle, and see if we can come out the other side with a finished book. We have unburdened ourselves to you, dear listener. And we will continue to be looking at that harsh mirror with you. Yes. So, on to reviews. And um, we haven't seen many movies or uh, had any zombie books to review. But we thought it might be interesting to talk a little bit about Around this idea of productivity is the work that you've done, because we're just saying that uh, productivity is the ability to produce, produce uh, goods and services, but the word quality doesn't really factor into that. I believe that a future SajCast will be sponsored by quality, but that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about the simple act of producing something. Yeah, and so in pre-production we were talking about um, the new Ice Age movie. And sort of the idea that, um, what is this, number four? Number four. Number four in a series. Right. Is this your best work? Right. I mean, people who worked on Ice Age 4, and 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 I don't mean to be accusatory, especially since I have not seen it. Mm -hmm. Um, Toy Story certainly showed us that you can have movies uh, that follow on that are as good or better. the original and it's the same high hopes that we have for the next Avengers movie for example yeah exactly so it's a genuine question is is this your best work right and it's like what they said about the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie it was the movie in which everybody showed up to collect their paycheck yeah and so um, the two don't necessarily go hand in hand just because it's a sequel doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad and it doesn't necessarily mean that the people who wrote it and started and directed it didn't give their a game um however <laughs> and and that's no different than any other project right? That's right. i mean just because you're following on doesn't change that math and i would like to think that there is an added pressure to outperform the last one right because well not from the studio's perspective well no not from the studio's perspective but from the creative let's call it the yes. creative the creative and technical side everything that goes into making a movie um and making it good this is not a new story. I mean, it's, it's a new story, same characters. They have a proven track record that they have to live up to. Yes. And I'm hoping that that's added fire, you know, added fuel to the fire to, to try and make it better. Um, well, it has to go one of two ways, right? right. So it's, uh, we have to slog through this and collect our paycheck, or... Um, either the people that are there from before or new people want to make their mark, right? Mm-hmm. And and deliver on the A-game. So I have not seen Ice Age. So we have to defer to you <laughs> to see which one of those happened. Well, as it turns out, I did have guests in my house. Uh, I had two twin 10-year-old girls. And because they said, we want to go see Ice Age, my uh teenagers... Worldly teenagers who are too old and sophisticated for Ice Age said, "Well, if the little kids want to go, <laughs> of course we'll see it." Fine, fine. Um, I got to say, visually it was it was good. Um, there were quite a number of funny bits, um, but overall, I was not horribly impressed. Um, I think some of the acting was overdone. Some of the writing was not so good. Um, is it worth seeing? Well, if you're a fan of the genre, then yes, you absolutely should see it um did Ray Romano deliver he, over-delivered. he over delivered he well just he a lot of a lot of his voice work was over the top, but he was reading the lines he was given he was following direction that he was given, and after a while, he gets to be one note mm-hmm. you know he's he's not as nuanced a character, yes, and so you know, he's the straight man of the movie. in as much as a giant mammoth can be anything but a straight man. That yeah. is true. Um, I mean, there's there's physics at work. You have to be the straight <laughs> man or you're going to plummet to your death or be crushed under your own weight. But, um, yeah, I mean, the the movie at that point cannot be carried by the straight man. But he was really all they had. And so... Mm-hmm. It was was Queen Latifah in this one. Queen Latifah was in it. Uh, J Lo was in it. Uh, Nicki Minaj. There were a whole cast of people. And they didn't bring the funny. No, they mm-hmm. didn't bring the funny. And um, uh, like I said, there were parts that were laugh out loud funny. It was not a movie that I said I've had it. I'm going to get up in the middle and walk right. out. I mean, so you know, if if you have kids who want to see it and you've seen all the other ones, then by all means, go. But it wasn't a it wasn't a franchise that improves with the sequels in the way of Toy Story or um possibly Shrek if you like that sort of thing. Hmm. Okay. Or um, uh, <laughs> no. the Madagascar movies. I hadn't um, seen that one. But yeah. I was yeah. it's tough to come up with sequels that improve. Right. That's uh and shrek-less. so if we were to throw down the gauntlet to those people who make movies and sequels, um our advice wherever possible would be to feel free to do better the next time around yeah so um, along the same lines i i saw a movie last week um, which is in your netflix queue you can find it if you have such a thing it was called bucket of blood it's uh, in black and white eight, and it fit nicely really, it fit nicely into this is it your best work idea So what the story is about was a bunch of beatniks, which are the predecessors to hippies, for those of you who don't know. Coffee drinking, poetry reading, cigarette smoking. Kind of like hipsters, but way, way back. Um, And the story is set in a beatnik bar, and there's lots of uh, really awesome beatnik scenes and beatnik poetry, if you're into that. It's worth it right there. Um, and the protagonist is a busboy who works clearing tables. And folks that are there, they, they all look down their nose at him because he doesn't produce. Um, he doesn't... Well, yeah, he does, he's not productive. He doesn't enrich society in the way that they do while they're busy drinking coffee. Yes. And so his dream is to be among them... And to be a sculptor. And what happens, um, spoiler alert, is uh, accidentally he kills a cat, a common house cat, with a knife through drywall. Long story. Anyway, um, it occurs to him that he has a dead cat, which is apparently very quick to go (laughs) rigor mortis in this situation. Uh, and he covers it in clay that he has because he's a would-be sculptor. And he leaves the knife in the cat and brings this sculpture, which is a dead cat covered in clay with a knife in it, to the beatnik bar. And they love it. They just can't get enough of it. He's a genius you know, it's so lifelike, the uh, the appearance, the horror of the knife and everything, because the knife was not covered in clay. That's just a regular old knife. Um, anyway, needless to say, uh, one thing leads to another, and shall I say, the sculptures get bigger. <laughs> bigger cats, you say? Maybe <laughs> no, lions, tigers. More of the two-legged beasts oh, that end up... I see, where, up, you're, I uh, see where you're the, going well, with that. Uh, hence the bucket of blood. Ah. so So... Um, Not to give away the ending or anything like that, but when I watched this, it was clear to me, one, that there would be no sequel, and and two, that this wasn't their best work. Right, This wasn't the seed, the child of someone who had for 25, 30 years been holding on to and crafting this idea, and they wanted to bring it to the world. It was clearly the studio had a slot, need to feature horror and beatniks get you know get to it low budget uh, all that kind of stuff so um entertaining if you're at home and you're not really watching TV and you want to have that noise on um, good for that but um absolutely this idea that it's formula it's productive but it's not quality it was designed to fill a slot and and yeah. to go back to our earlier discussion that um, you know politics has always been this way and may persist, um studios still make movies this way. Uh I have a slot. Oh yeah. I need to I need a summer movie uh about as do a, publishers, and publishers lots of and others. Yeah. You name it. There is a slot to be filled and sometimes they just put something up. And I'm hoping that a discerning listener, viewer, uh reader can tell when that's happened. You can tell when this is just Fluff to fill to fill a room uh, to fill a to fill an hour to fill some pages, and so um, is it your best work? Is the theme of this review section? Yeah, and we don't mean is this the best thing you've ever done? It's just is this the best you could put forth? Right? Are you bringing your A game? Yes. On the fourth installment of Big Mammoth, Super (laughs) Two Tiger, and Little Weirdo (laughs) Sloth. Okay, so that sound, which we all know by now, should get your salivatory glands pumping, is foodborne. Foodborne. And so, since you are often uh, quick to point out that I'm a gallivanter around the world, experiencing cities and tastes everywhere, you were out Doing just that. And to clarify, I'm not quick to point it out. <laughs> I tend to smolder throughout the first few sections of every Sodcast thinking about it. How you gallivant around the world and eat food in wildly different locales while I eat it. All professional gallivanter. Professional gallivant And so, there's no other way to say this except, ha! Ha! I have been out of town. And I went to New Orleans where I ate food. And so here we are. My turn. You be quiet. Sit down over there. Here's what happened. We went to New Orleans. On the first day of walking around the below sea level, cosmically hot, reeking of stewed garbage, New Orleans, we had breakfast at the coffee pot, where breakfast was served to us by some very old African-American ladies who knew what they were doing and made fantastic food. And now, I should also point out that my children are not gourmands. They, uh, they, They are not... In it for the experience of trying new things and new locales. This is not their thing, but they liked it. And so every night in New Orleans, it became a challenge to us to find the best whatever it was. Well, wait, well, let's go back to the coffee pod. Okay. Now, what was on, what was on the plate? Ah, indeed. This is food teas. This isn't food pork, but there's so much of it. Um, okay. Now you're going to have to help me out with some of the terms. Uh, there were the a plate. (laughs) No. That I got. Um, I personally had an omelet. and Cheese? Um, Cheese. Sausage. My usual. It was okay. fantastic. But the other people at the table were a bit more adventurous. And there are these uh, cornmeal and sausage deep fried balls. Okay. Uh, they have a name. I should really look that up. Um, but those were good. Uh, Anyone have any beignets? No. Beignets. Oh. I was looking for beignets because well, we were there. Um my daughters had Cajun pancakes, which were also excellent, and they just... What what constitutes the the Cajunness of the pancake? Well, I don't want to get complicated, but it turns out we were in New Orleans. And so I think... <laughs> it was they, made by Cajuns. I think they apply that label to most everything. Okay. But I think the bottom line of the coffee pot is it was really actual food made by actual people who knew what they were doing. The recipes were solid. The food was great. Also, listeners, it was several weeks ago, so I've <laughs> forgotten a lot of the salient details. And really, it's not about you should really hustle down to the coffee pot. This is more of a a porn montage. Yes. All right, because the challenge then became to do better at the next meal, to yes. find the next best thing, and with the obstacles that we had brought with us, namely my children, who only like four or five different things, and so... You know, we had to do Italian one night. We had to find a place that would make a good hamburger. And in New Orleans, we succeeded like mad. There's a place called Rizzoli's, uh, downtown uh, New Orleans, uh block from our hotel. Uh, everything they sent us was great, and they sent it to the room, which uh, has an added benefit. In the I summer, had, yes. <laughs> I had a pizza that had nothing on it but uh, extra cheese, Italian sausage, and artichokes. And it was good. And you know how I know it was good. My youngest daughter ate some of it and <laughs> pronounced it good. And that almost never happens. Um, so in this edition of food porn, what we're going for here is everything they sent was great. And they were appealing to wildly different tastes. And it worked. Um, and so here's a place that you really should go when you're in New Orleans. Cajun Mike's. Cajun Mike's. Yes. It is a bar. It is a dive bar straight out of a, out of a movie. That you would see on a Saturday afternoon. Um, It is dark. It smells of old beer. There is a jukebox. There is a bar with stools. And there is one harried waitress who no doubt gets hit on constantly by the drunkards at the bar. We, sight unseen, you know, because we went to the hotel for recommendation. uh, You know, we ordered the standard burgers, fries, chicken wings, and whatever. And the hamburger that came up was the best that my daughter, who is a connoisseur, Says that she has ever eaten anywhere in her life. So Cajun Mikes, absolutely good. Yeah, burgers are, are interesting that way in that, um, you can experience magical ones in sort of unlikely places. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they did it and everything that they did was quite good. There's also a sandwich that they make called a cochon con something. And I guess, you know, because I'm not a professional gallivanter, I really didn't take notes on this, <laughs> but it's basically a pork sandwich with a uh, pickles in the middle of it and some kind of sauce. Awesome. A Cajun sauce. A Cajun sauce oh, indeed. Okay. So really the bottom line is, is when we're talking about Cajun mics, order whatever you want. <laughs> It'll be great. Um, and so that was kind of just to give you the, the essence of what we did in New Orleans culinarily was we picked places that were nearby. We went with local recommendations. We were not disappointed. So it's yeah. uh, just a travel tip if you're going to New Orleans. Also, try it in winter. I was going to say, that's a good travel tip just about anywhere. Find out where the locals like to eat and go there. Yes. Um, don't rely on the place you've got a coupon for. <laughs> Because that's not how it works. Coupon. Or the one that you saw on the food networker. Because oftentimes, well. Right. It's, uh, if you have to work that hard to prop them up to get your attention, yes. then don't bother. Um, and then we sojourned in Pensacola and, um, avid listeners, here's the sad, sad part is that some of the best food we had in Pensacola was at Denny's. And I'll cover that in more, in, in more detail later. But hang on. And so you were in. Uh, New Orleans And then you got to Pensacola So it seems like you must have passed through Mobile Alabama I didn't even. in And Bowley, Alabama is not far from there That's right, that is where the Famous Throat Rolls is from At least one of the three locations One of the yeah. three locations, but the one that you've been to Yes, And and the one that we referenced In Sajkast number, yes All of them, go back to number one And listen to them all and at some point You will encounter Throat Rolls because we're not just going to send you pinpointedly to Sodcast number three. We want you to loop back and listen to every single one of them. Uh, got that, Mom? Okay. So I picked up your daughter at her college by turning left on campus drive and a right on campus drive and worked around campus circle and then made another left on campus drive and told her to go outside and just start waving her arms frantically so that <laughs> I could find her. And we drove to Foley, Alabama to have third rolls. Now, it was a Thursday night, which I thought would be safe. We got there at 6 p.m., which I thought would be safe. Um, So I was going for not too terribly hot, maybe not a long wait Thursday night. (laughs) Come on, right? Here's where I was wrong in every respect. (laughs) Just, just to go along with our theme of me not being too specific about the details and giving you kind of an overarching everything sort of approach, everything that I had proposed to do about going to throw rolls turned out to be wrong. It was hot. We had to park across the street in the Chick-fil-A, which apparently is just a sub-parking lot for thrown rolls. Overflow. Overflow. That's all they do. I mean, they may incidentally serve chicken, um, but it's incidental. And cause controversy. And cause controversy. They may serve chicken and denigrate alternative lifestyles, but in Foley, Alabama, ample parking. <laughs> ample parking. That's it. So we stood in line for two hours. And the funny thing about... Uh, the Throat Rolls restaurant is that people who have eaten and come out do not restrain their smugness <laughs> because they come out and they say how long have you been in line i say well i've been in line for about an hour how long have you been in line they say we just ate ah so we're not bonding <laughs> well we are not fellow sufferers you you're not on the same side you're coming out here to relive your own previous misery by proxy and say, well, when I waited, I waited for two hours, but I have since eaten, and so now I am fine. You, however, well, need say nothing, you are doomed to stand out here until you collapse. Uh, but if you do get inside, try the pork chops. Yeah, get in your car. <laughs> so, um, while we were outside, um, you know, we were people watching. We were seeing how far people had come. There were people from Texas, and, you know, we did the license plate thing. Your daughter had not eaten all day in anticipation of going to throw the rolls. And so I was also wrong about her ability to remain upright with really, really low blood sugar. So we found her some Oreos and some lemonade. And so in the parking lot of one of America's greatest restaurants, we're scrounging for car snacks just to keep her from falling over. Lemonade, quite good, but $5. So uh, we get inside. We get our table, which is in the back, which I got to say, if you're going to a restaurant that throws rolls... You don't want to be standing next to the guy doing the throwing. You want to be way in the back, in you which so arms. Wait, your when head. you say in the back, do you mean which room? Because there's like eight rooms. The first room. The first room. Okay. Yes, yeah, so we're in the first room, way in the back. Yeah. And um, that was good because the people who were sitting up close to where they were throwing from basically just got a an underhand toss. Yeah, a handed roll. A handed roll. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but that is not in the name. This is throwing rolls, and that means you got to throw it. And so because we were very nearly at the back wall. This guy throwing rolls had to put some heat on it. (laughs) And I caught every single one. I caught six of them because the folks in my party somehow could not denigrate themselves to catch a throwed bit of baked roll. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a yeast filled, um, you know, airbag from a car. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so that was fun. I mean, that was the entertainment portion. And, of course, maybe your daughter was not able to catch because of her blood sugar issues. <laughs> but um, the rolls were excellent. Catching them was fun. Yes. Um, and, but, of course, we had the waitress who apparently was there from the day they opened. And so now she's not really so much in the business of procuring food and drink as being uh, an oddity, uh, a floor show, as it were. She came over to the table with her fake jug of molasses and pretended to dump it in my daughter's lap. She would come over with her fake mustard uh, dispenser and squirt, you know, yellow silly string all over the table. Uh, she showed up once with the bucket that they bring the sides around in, only she had a fake dead muskrat in there. And so this, I got to say, was not entertaining. Um, if we had not waited outside in the heat for two hours with nothing to <laughs> subsist on but Oreos and lemonade, we might have found her charming and quaint and, and uh, you know, a part of the local flavor. But as it was, I wanted to beat her to death with a day-old throw-and-roll, and no one would let me. Um, but to the food, right? This is not about waitress. This is not waitress porn. This is Ooh, food. that's a whole other website. That's a whole other website. But uh, um, I had the fried chicken, as advised. It was excellent. Um uh I I partook of all the sides and they were excellent. There are many. There are many and I can't even remember them all. But they had one that was just like macaroni and tomatoes. Yes, like a like a beef roer without the beef. Without the beef. And yeah. so you look at it and you're like, well, that can't be good. They have but, one that's just cabbage. Yeah. And I had that. It was all good. Um the atmosphere was good and and I think that anyone who's been to Throat Rolls has probably done this even though it is probably not the right thing to do. You ask for a throat roll, you catch it, you don't eat it. <laughs> because you, you ate most of them, I'm assuming. I, I you're passed them around. Was, I passed some extra. But at the end, when we were all done and we could barely yes. move, I said, dude, throw me a roll. Just so I could catch one. Oh. It's a pillow for the ride home. Yes. <laughs> Something to snack on in the car. So, listeners, I have left... Our immediate vicinity. I have traveled throughout this great land. I went to the fame throat rolls as referenced in every cast since the first one, which you're going to have to go back and listen to. Lambert's Cafe. Right? Lambert's Cafe. Cafe. It'll be up on the website again. Oh, yeah. But um, it's a fine opportunity to go and listen to earlier segments so that you can get the full details, which I have glossed over, um, probably from my heat exhaustion. Yeah. So we recommend, again, moving through the South in the cool months. For many reasons, that's a good safety tip right there. You'll find the locals to be more tolerable. <laughs> <laughs> one would hope. So that leaves us with, uh, the best thing you ate this week, which I think in this special, uh, returning Sajcast, we'll have to extend to the best thing you ate since the last Sajcast. Yes, however, one small caveat that, that I didn't discuss in pre-production, but I did mention that I had house guests and my friend Rob, our friend Rob that we went to high school with, Makes a lasagna to die for. Oh yeah. Okay. And we nearly did. Because, um, he's a diva. He's a prima donna. He is, he believes himself to be an artist in the kitchen when it comes to lasagna. And so we spent. Those do make the best lasagna. They do indeed. And so having (laughs) known what the output was going to be, I didn't complain so much about going to the store for two hours (laughs) to get the correct basil, the right oregano, the particular batches of tomatoes and the right noodles and the proper pan to put it all in um, because the output of all that was simply fantastic, so uh the problem is is listeners that uh you could conceivably, and I'm not sure we'll put his contact information on the <laughs> website but you could have him come to your house and stay for a week and watch espn and turn on every light in the house and fail to turn it off and refuse to let you eat anything for breakfast that isn't somehow eggs and bacon but in the course of which he might make you lasagna which is well redeeming so uh that was probably the best thing i ate this actual week that you uh that, that the listeners yeah as you say may not be able to experience may not, may as not as be well. able to experience um Unless we start a sodgecast products division in which we can you know, freeze it and ship it all across the Streetland. land. Um, because that would be productive. Yes. Thank you, sponsor. Um, but the best thing that I ate the week that I was in Pensacola, other than the Thode Rolls, was a double cheeseburger at Denny's. Yes, and you were somewhat uh, reluctant to suggest that the best thing you had had was a burger from Denny's. Yes, because imagine how our listeners feel. They know that you are a professional gallivanter, and that you go around the world and you sample things like, you know, snake eyeballs and poisonous alligator feet and all the things that they would like to hear about because they themselves may never get to sample them. And they're looking for real tips. They're looking to say, I've been to Thone Rolls and I caught a roll and I ate it and it was excellent. They may not want to hear that on my first excursion since (laughs) the history of Sajcasting that finally I get out in the world and I come back to report that I had a burger at a chain restaurant and it was awesome. I think that the listeners might feel a bit let down um, based upon the level of quality that they have gotten used to in all previous Sajcasts that they should go listen to. Well, if you had suggested it was Moons Over my hand, I might have stopped you. Yes, but um, I think an important aspect of appreciating food is giving things a fair shake because you may find yourself at some point in a chain restaurant. And are no likely you will. You uh, will I mean, certainly. Yeah. And if that's the case, you have only what is before you to choose from. And so, that being the case, no need to get on your high horse. Order something that looks good and see how it goes. Give it a fair. Keep an open mind. Well, and you're not suggesting necessarily that any Denny's anywhere in the world right. will produce that burger. Mm-hmm. Perhaps that chef, you know, the grill cook, who I don't even think gets the title chef at, at a denities. No. Um, was just especially talented and mm-hmm. made a good burger, and he he put forth his best work there. You go. And and you put it away. That's right. And 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 who knows what his motivation is? His motivation may be that at that particular geographical location, with the demographic of population that is around his particular Denny's, there are some people who are picky about their burgers. Well, oh, and where was this Denny's exactly? This was on Davis Road. In Pensacola hmm. right before the entrance to i10 okay so you can I know, go there. I, know I know the one yes. yes and you can go there and get food and it um, we ate there a couple of times because it was convenient to the hotel and convenient to the widespread uh, persnickiness of my traveling companions <laughs> it, was, it which means in a sense it is the place that people objected to the least I gotcha and so there we were. And I got to say, the food was of fairly consistent quality. And, um, you know, now, does this mean that on our next, whenever we go out anywhere, that we're going to start looking for a Denny's? Maybe not. But having gone there and having had little choice in the matter, I'm here to report that the double cheeseburger at the Denny's, right near the entrance to I-10 in Pensacola, makes a really fine one. Yeah, and, and that's, as I said, the magic of burgers especially is that, around any corner, you could have a really awesome burger. It's a canvas for an artist waiting to have it. <laughs> yes. And so, uh the best thing that I ate this week, uh which was last week, I guess, or when I was in Seattle, uh was actually covered on the Stacks of Comics crossover with Charles. But I will recant it here for you, dear listener. And as you were talking about the Denny's um, because to be fair some of the places we've recommended are rather expensive or not recommended but said it was the best thing we ate Um, and we we even went so far as to make a case for quality right so the best thing I ate was a cup of soup if you can believe it Uh, and the situation around how I got it is worth talking about. So this was in downtown Seattle at a place called El Gaucho, like the uh, cowboys down deep south <laughs> of the equator. Um, although we affectionately took to calling it El Gaucho, as it was not a cheap place to eat. So for those of you who are looking forward to some sort of world-class gallivanting and food sampling, That would be now. (laughs) They Well, and here's, you know, the full perspective on that. So this was a team meeting uh, that we uh, took, and Charles and I are on the same team, uh, along with a couple others. And this is really, I think, the first time the team had ever really gotten together. But we didn't have our manager with us, and so we didn't have uh, a parent, right? And so the local person said, we're going to El Gaucho. And everybody was excited because steak, right? Ooh, good steak. And I think most of us actually took it to be a Chiracic So a Brazilian steakhouse with the swords and the guys coming around constantly cutting the meat off and all that. But not so. This was a proper steakhouse and a pricey one at that. One of the interesting things about El Gaucho was, uh, at least notable, was it's the darkest restaurant I've ever been in. We went in and granted it was sunny which is odd in Seattle uh but we came in and we were completely blind. I mean to the point where without exaggeration we were seated handed a menu and a flashlight. Because an actual the, flashlight. They knew there was no chance that you could read the menu without one. It was that dark. And little tiny pen, you know, LED pen flashlights. So we're all Pen flashlighting the menus. So now, let me, I have to ask, but, <laughs> you know, having been to a, and I use this term, not in a pejorative sense, but a gimmick restaurant. Yes. In which rolls are thrown. Yes. Is it that the flashlights are no. part of their thing? No. They're just a necessary tool of getting no, by. Yes. Already? Necessary evil. You may proceed. So, uh, yeah, this is a very classy place, and, um, to with uh, Charles is a little uncomfortable in a place this fancy. They had a wine captain, not just a steward. They had a captain to come and discuss wine and matters related to wine a and grapes and fermentation and what have you. Yes. Um, and I guess to back my way into the soup, um, this, the, the entree that I had, I actually shared with Charles. Uh, they had some steaks for two. And so we thought we'd try this and this goes down, if for nothing else, as the most expensive steak I've consumed or ordered uh, 142 U.S. dollars for a steak. Granted, it was for two. Um, and I had to apologize to Suzanne, my girlfriend, for having eaten a steak with another person that was more expensive than the one we shared. But it was unremarkable. It wasn't bad by any means. But it was not even close to the best thing I ate that week. Um, And this is after my taste buds had returned from the jalapeno scorching, right? Um, So to, to speak to quality just for a moment and the importance of it, there is a point of diminishing returns. And I would say somewhere between the $60 steak and the $140 steak, not only was the nuance lost on me, I don't believe there was any appreciable difference. So is it is it one of these places where, of course our steaks are good. We have a wine captain. Yes, and okay. it's ridiculously expensive. How could it not be good? Well, how because the you, steaks not, themselves, uh, if you hadn't got the double, were still in the eighty-nine to eighty okay. to ninety dollar range. But like anything else, it's not only how could the steaks not be good, but how dare you? How can you admit it to anyone? after having dropped that amount of money on it. Yes, well, had it been my <laughs> money, perhaps we wouldn't be having this discussion. Um, yeah, so there, I think there is a point at which premium goes too far, and there's no, at least um, in my sense of economics, there's no value. Right, and this is where you'd want to take that cut of meat yes, and hand it to the guy working in the back kitchen at Cajun Mike's in New Orleans and say, oh, yeah. show me what you can do with this steak. And... For eight bucks, it might be the best thing you ate this week. All right. But the best thing I ate was at that meal. It was just earlier in the meal. Uh, and that was French onion soup, which I think would have set you back ten bucks, which is a lot for soup. But, you know, I'm saying if you're in Seattle and you got a hankering for French onion soup, go to El Gaucho, sit down, put the nice linen cloth on your, you know, on your waist and order soup and leave. I mean, pay for it. But, but but just throw them off. We do not suggest or condone breaking the law by dining and dashing. Yes. Uh, because apparently they have a wine captain and he might just... And, and there's no way you're going to find your way out with a flashlight. That's light. right. Because if they're not cooperating, you don't get the flashlight and you're stuck there until you pay your bill. But for 10 bucks, I would easily buy that soup again any day of the week. So uh, your $10 bucks is well spent. As French onion soups go... Uh, th- uh, and for really, for any soup, this was Tops. One of the things that made it so exceptional was uh, the cheese, which was a nice Gruyere. And the soup was obviously homemade. You know, it didn't re- you know, reek of any sort of Cisco-made product or whatever. Um, and the funny part was... You know, there's going to be egg all over your face if Cisco wants to sponsor one of these side mm-hmm. just Well, that. they have many fine products. Mm-hmm. I like their straws and napkins. One day they might want to sponsor one of these Sajcasts, and hopefully they will not listen to the previous ones. But (laughs) I digress. As it turns out, this soup, French onion soup, displaced, for me personally, my previous high-water mark for soup, which was also French onion soup. And, curiously enough, was consumed last July in New Orleans. (laughs) So... To bring it all back together. For those of you who don't think that we plan these things at all, <laughs> you may feel that what you feel is the trap snapping shut on your ankle. The tender Sag cast trap. That's right. Yeah, so, and, and even more interesting was that um, I had, sh- uh, not shared, but uh, Charles and I were in New Orleans uh, having the, that suit together, and for both of us, that was the high water mark. And I believe because I got a salad and he didn't or something like that. uh, He ended up having the French onion soup before me and he was raving about it. And I was like, oh, raving about soup. Mm. And I was like, oh, is it better than the New Orleans soup? And he was like, it might be. <laughs> so, you know, which is something of a surprise because we certainly didn't think soup was what this was going to be most remembered for. Uh Well, now when you're spending $140 on steak. Yeah. And so it was actually during the the Stacks of Comics uh, podcast that he reminded me that once I got my soup and started tasting it, apparently, like an old woman at church, I shushed the table. And I was serious. Let me concentrate <laughs> on my soup. I was like, please, shh, I'm trying to sh- Cease and your caterwauling. And I had I only eat. had, you know, a quarter of a martini at that point. So I don't even think I can blame the booze. But yeah, it was, it was really just transcendent. I mean, amazing, ridiculously good soup. And, uh, it's again, one of those things that, you know, you catch by accident and it's magical. Right. And that's good. And that's, you know, sometimes that is the essence of good food is not just, um, not just the quality you expect, but the quality that you don't expect—the yes. surprise hidden around the corner. Um, and then, as another editorial note, which we can probably talk about in post-production. But I think if if your girlfriend is listening religiously to these Sajcash, she's going to notice that you and Charles are sharing a number of intimate <laughs> meals together uh, with shared entrees and shared appetizers. And it's um, well, anyway, she's Ooh. well aware that we're uh, that Charles is my work wife. Or I am his work wife, depending on how that works. So, no surprises there. She knows my uh, affections go to her. And uh, Charles has a special place in my heart. But uh, it's much more of a traditional friendship. It's two men on an expense account gallivanting around in foreign cities. It's much more gallivanting, yes. Yes, okay. And so, I think we have come to the end of Sajcast number six, sponsored by... Productivity, productivity, the quality state or fact of being able to generate, create, enhance, or bring forth goods and services, which until next time, we hope that you all are going out and doing. Yes.